Christ, the king, is unlike human kings in that he is not threatened by the possibility that there's another king. I'm Kyle Grants, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. And if you would go with me to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2. If you were to ask four different people to paint or draw a picture of the same person, how would it turn out in family Pictionary? How many of you play Pictionary as a family? How many of you don't because you end up throwing markers at each other? Yeah. If you were to have a family or four people in particular draw a picture of the same person, it would end up looking very different, no doubt. Even if you had professional artists, they would have their own view, spin, perspective. It would look different. And so it is with the Gospels of, of Jesus Christ that we find in the New Testament. Each writer is intending to do something just a little bit different. They have a specific theme in mind, a, a specific idea in mind. And, and, and so their portrait of Jesus brings out the characteristics of that idea. And if you just want a, a basic synopsis, it, it would go like this, and I'm going to give away the main idea of my message by saying this, but the Gospels go like this. Matthew writes about God being, Christ being king. Mark write, writes about Christ being servant. Luke writes about Christ being man, and John writes about Christ being Someone say it, because we've been in John for a long time now. God, yes. I know, some of you were saying it. Some of you didn't want to, you know, you knew it, but you didn't want to say, I get it. Uh, yes, and John writes about Jesus being uh, divine, God. And so if, I, if, if we agree from the outset, and I guess you have to agree with me, but if you agree with me, you're also agreeing with a long history of biblical scholarship, okay? So you're in good company, that Matthew presents Jesus as king. He doesn't waste any time in doing so. And you're going to see that from our passage this morning. And I think one of the things that we do, I, you said, you know, I, this is uninvited visitors, and we talked about shepherds last week. thought you were going to talk about the Magi. We are going to talk about the Magi, but we're going to use the Magi the way I think Matthew wants us to use the Magi. The Magi are fascinating people. But they are not what's important about this passage, okay? And I think sometimes what we can do with passages like this um, is we can come to texts like this and we can get really excited about the wrong things. Like, oh, what was the star? I don't know how the star worked. You know, was it, 
did it move the whole time or did it just show up? Was it, you know, planets coming together or was it a comet or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And we actually, we don't get a very clear main idea from the passage because we get distracted by other things that we like to talk about. And Pastor Fisher gave us a great uh, kind of background of the Magi a few weeks ago. They're, they're Gentile travelers who were associated with royalty, who had a great deal of knowledge. They traveled to see Messiah. They understood Messiah. And that's basically all you need to know about the Magi. They bring gifts. And we'll talk about that as well. But I think sometimes what we do is we just get really excited about these guys. And, and what I want to make sure we actually get excited about here is the baby. We'll make sure we stay excited about Jesus. Okay? And so... Uh, we're going to study Matthew's perspective, and we're going to see what these magi have to do with Christ, what they teach us of Christ, and what another king in this text teaches us of Christ. Let's start reading together in verse 18. I'm sorry, in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him bring me word that I may too come and worship him after listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Today, as we wrap up our Christmas mini-series, Uninvited Visitors, I want us to recognize from the account of the Magi and from Matthew's presentation of Christ in this text that at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of a king with ultimate and unending authority who deserves unrestrained and unceasing worship. I know there's a lot of words, so I want to say it again. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of a king with ultimate and unending authority who deserves unrestrained and unceasing worship. Well, there are 
many events that take place here, and you might be disappointed from the outset of my message by me saying we're really not going to spend a great deal of time kind of unpacking the details of who the Magi were and the star, and all those things are fascinating. But again, I want to make sure we really get the grip of what Matthew is attempting to do in this text. This is a fascinating text, and it's not about the wise men. And so the first thing I want us to see from this text is something that Matthew draws our attention to right off of the bat in verse 2. Saying, verse 2, saying, where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? This is verse 2 of chapter 2. We get there immediately. We immediately see what Matthew is going to show us and specifically what this kingship looks like. Some of the things that we should learn about this kingship. And so first of all, I want to, to, to study from this text that this baby will be a redeeming ruler. This baby will be a redeeming ruler. Now, we know that the Magi journeyed. It could have been up to two years. They traveled from the east. We do, uh, we do have a basic uh, knowledge of them. We understand wise men from the book of Daniel. Again, Pastor Fisher talked about that. But if we're really, if, if biblical scholars are really honest and, and you really put it to them and you say, how did the Magi know about Messiah? Do you know what we have to say? We don't really know. We have ideas, but we don't really know. And even in that answer, though, that we don't really know how they got it. Isn't there such great glory in the reality that before Jesus is born, there are Gentile wise men who have a lineage of knowing about Messiah? Isn't that amazing? And so we study Israel, and we know they're looking forward to Messiah, but all over the world, from the reaches of the known world, there are these men who we don't really know how they got the message of Messiah, but they had it. And so again, Jesus before he's born is being recognized and honored. And so the Magi begin the scene. They enter this, they enter uh, uh, Jerusalem and they're wondering where he is who has been born king of the Jews. And so right off the bat, we understand that this baby is associated with royalty. And specifically, he is king of the Jews. But there's another king here who has a problem with this. Okay, so again, keep the idea of king in mind, kingship in mind. So first of all, the question is introduced by the wise man, where is the king? And now a full-grown human reigning king is a little bit concerned. And so first of all, we see this idea of Christ as our redeeming ruler in the concept of contrasting kings. Contrasting kings. The, the magi show up and they declare that they're looking for Messiah, king of the Jews, and we have another king who's currently on the throne, Jesus the baby eternally reigning one day, but temporarily there's this, there's this kingdom here that of, of, of 
Rome, and inside there where Herod is reigning as king of the Jews in Jerusalem, and he is a little bit concerned. Verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. I mean, just imagine Herod. He's going about his day. He's being cruel, because that's what Herod did. He's reigning, he's power tripping because that's what, that's what he did. He's feeling invincible. And here come these group of magi. We don't know how many there were. We typically say there were three. Why do we say that? There's three gifts. We don't know. There's probably more. And these are just the gifts that they brought. There could have been many. So there's the possibility that there were just three. Or there's, this, there's a possibility of a large caravan of people trouncing through Jerusalem, saying, hey, we're looking for a king. And he's just been born. And the real king, the other, the real king, the, the, the human king is going, wait a second. Who are they talking about? What is this king of the Jews? And apparently there's enough basis of knowledge that he knows who to ask. And so he asks the, the, the people, who is this king? And, and, and where is this king going to come from? And they tell him there's, you know, the prophet in Bethlehem. But it, just notice there's this immediate paranoia in Herod. He hears about a king who has just been a, a child. A young child. And he gets very nervous. And so he's, he, 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 he wants more information. He gathers more information. I just, I just want you to notice this because this is fascinating. Remember, Matthew's presenting Jesus as king. They ask the question, where's the king? The earthly king of the Jews, Herod, is asking about this king. And this king, Jesus is a young child. Christ the king is unlike human kings in that he is not threatened by the possibility that there's another king. Herod immediately starts to panic. He immediately starts to worry. He says he's troubled and all Jerusalem with him because there's this idea that there might be a threatening king coming. And it's a child. He's scared of the possibility of a child king. And our king isn't threatened by the feeble and failing authorities of man. As Christ stands, even in his last days, silent, as the scriptures say, is a lamb going to the slaughter before the rulers of Israel, he is not threatened by their violence. Because it is by means of their violence in putting him on a cross that he will once and for all establish his final authority. So Christ in dying proves divine royalty. And so we've got this puny king. Now, by earthly standards, 
Herod wasn't puny. He could snap his fingers and get what he wanted within human capability. But here's this young child who causes the rulers of earth to tremble by his great power. And he does not tremble at the limited power of puny earthly rulers. Here's one example, and I love this so much. Here's one example of God proving that Christ is the supremest of the kings from his, from his earliest days. Um, where are Mary and Joseph from? Where are Mary and Joseph from? Nazareth, yes. Where is Jesus born? Why not have the baby in Nazareth? Why, why go somewhere else? Prophecy? He would be born in Bethlehem. We see that in the text. And so secondly, there's prophetic proof. First of all, we see that Jesus will be ruler by contrasting kings. Secondly, we see that Jesus will be ruler and redeemer by prophetic proof. They're from Nazareth, and they go to Bethlehem. Why? Well, the scriptures need to be fulfilled. Why is the earthly human reason they go to Bethlehem? Because Herod wants to have a census. God uses Herod to get Messiah where the scriptures say that Messiah would be born. Jesus, from the very outset, is proving that God, through the King Christ, will establish and accomplish his purposes. There's beautiful irony there. The king that Herod is afraid of is the one he just brought to Bethlehem to accomplish the scriptures. It's almost funny. Maybe to me, maybe not to you. Ultimate authority is in Christ. From this little town in Bethlehem, five miles from Jerusalem, the promises of Scripture are kept. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for, who, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, that this ruler to rule all rulers would be born of a woman in the quietest and humblest of situations to rescue all men and women from the darkest and most hopeless of situations. And God, through the puny King Herod, establishes King Jesus and confirms the scriptures in Bethlehem. And so from Christ, we see, from this child, we see ultimate authority. But secondly, the other, the other thing that we see here in Christ is deliverance. He will be a ruler and he will be a redeemer. He will be a redeeming ruler. How will this take place? He, because he will come and he will rule and shepherd the people Israel. Now, remember I said that we're actually going to, uh, starting in January, we're going we're to study the idea of Jesus as shepherd because we're going to be in John 10. And, but I just want to touch on it here. Remember we, a few weeks ago, or last week when we talked about the shepherds, the shepherds raised sheep for what purpose? To die. 
for some purpose, whether food or temple sacrifice, sheep were raised to die. But this ruler Israel, by shepherding his, this ruler of Israel, this ruler of the world, by shepherding his people, will come and be raised as shepherd to die for the sheep. And so through his accomplishment of blood, will the sheep ultimately be tended. Through the shepherd's sacrifice of death, will the sheep ultimately and eternally be fed and kept. So he is an ultimate ruler, and he is our sacrificial redeemer. And they thought up until, I mean, remember the disciples right before Jesus goes to leave. Acts 1.8, right before Jesus ascends, what did they ask him? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought all along Messiah was just going to come and overthrow Rome and reset up Jerusalem. But what this ruler, by the plan of God, through the accomplishment of the gospel, is intending is to bring, unite all peoples to himself and establish an eternal kingdom, not just overthrow governmental oppression, but overthrow sin. And so, Matthew presents him as our redeeming ruler. Then Herod summoned the wise men, verse 7, and secret, secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared and being, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. Now, the star is, the star is leading, obviously, the Magi to the place where Jesus is. This is where people kind of get hung up. Okay, well, did it lead them to the stable? Because, you know, we like to think of Jesus and everyone at the nativity, which, by the way, there actually is decent uh, scholarship for some people believe the Magi were at the stable, okay? Uh, not many, but some. And most people believe that, that Jesus is a young child at this point, and the star led them to a home that tends to be where I am. But however it happened, the Magi finished their journey, and they did arrive at the scene. And so first of all, we see that Christ will be, the baby will be a redeeming ruler. And secondly, I want to show us, based on the Magi's response, that this baby is alone worthy of worship. This baby is a redeeming ruler, and this baby is alone worthy of worship. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Um, again, I think a lot of people like to find science for this. You know, we just had that, uh, that uh, astronomical f- phenomenon, last, was it last week or two weeks ago, um, that we couldn't see because we live in Indiana and it's cloudy. Um, but you, some people think it was something like that. Some people think it was like a comet. Or, I tend to think it was God just being God. And God using nature to accomplish his purposes. However he did it, let's not lose the miracle that they found Jesus. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now, these are wealthy, 
royal, knowledgeable, important men. And they see a child in an ordinary Jewish home with ordinary Jewish mother and Joseph. And they fall on their face. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, notice what it doesn't say about Herod. Didn't say they fell before Herod. Did not say that they honored and reverenced Herod. They, they may very well have honored and reverenced Herod in the way that they should approach royalty. But Matthew doesn't say that. Matthew does say, upon seeing this child, they hit the ground. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They approached Jesus in a manner customary for approaching newborn royalty. These magi are not merely being courteous, they are being reverent. One thing that we have seen throughout this uninvited visitor series, okay, that whether they're smelly shepherds on the hillside or wealthy, knowledgeable royalty who have the means to bring baby Jesus gifts, Jesus is for all. They arrive in a, a dirty, dusty home, not a palace. They're surrounded by farm animals, not magistrates, and they bow before a young child as though he were a king on a throne. And customarily, they arrive and express their devotion by the giving of gifts. This is typical, again, for approaching newborn royalty or royalty in general. There's another encounter, encounter of royal gift giving we see in the scriptures that, we'll, that we'll, we'll talk about in just a moment. But, but this idea of the giving of gifts specifically to Jesus Christ further explains passages like this. Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Is this sounding familiar? Lift up all your eyes around and see. They gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. And the wealth of nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news and praises of the Lord. Much took place at the arrival of the Magi. But one thing you can be certain took place is that God proves his word is always true. Psalm 72, what we heard earlier, give the king your justice, O God, and the righteous to the royal, righteousness to the royal son. 
May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. This is the royal son. May he fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. Verse 8, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the king of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. What Matthew presents to us in Herod's insufficiency and the, 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 three, the, the, the wise kings, the arrival of these wise kings is that Jesus is king over all. No threat to him. And that he is worthy of our worship. Psalm 72. Did anyone notice in their heading of the scriptures when we read it earlier who wrote Psalm 72? Solomon. This is different. Solomon wrote very few psalms. Solomon himself experienced the time of gift giving. Do you remember this passage? Who comes to see Solomon in 2 Kings 10? The queen of Sheba. She brings Solomon gifts of gold and aromatic mixtures like frankincense and myrrh. And now, God's appointed Messiah the unfailing king in David's line. David, the great king, fell. Solomon, the wise king, fell. The great king, the unfailing king in David's line, receives kingly gifts of gold and frankincense to honor his kingly authority and myrrh to celebrate his coming and victorious death. And so even in the even in the giving of gifts, if we look back at the Old Testament and we see one in David's line, this great wise king Solomon who failed, he receives gifts. It points us forward to the seed of the woman through the line of David and he would not fail. And in his receiving of gifts, it was not only courtesy or custom or tradition, it was worship with which these gifts were given. Now I want to draw your attention to the way Matthew concludes. Because Matthew's conclusion, when I say conclude, I mean the book. Because Matthew's conclusion is unique to him. Yes, it's the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28. Most of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, include a Great Commission passage. John says something like, I wrote this because if I wrote everything, we wouldn't have enough books in the world, right? But, which I love that. I just love the way John writes. But uh, the other three, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, include a Great Commission text. But Matthew alone says, has Jesus saying this, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And so Matthew starts with us acknowledging who Jesus is. King with ultimate and unending authority. Affirms it by this account with the Magi and the puny Herod. And at the end of the book, we're reminded one more time, Jesus is 
ultimate authority. And on the basis of that ultimate authority, what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew intends that as these magi come from a different part of the earth, these Gentiles travel from the ends of the earth to arrive and see Messiah, Christ intends through his ultimate authority that has been given to him that the ends of the earth know that he is king. And it is based in this ultimate and undeniable authority that he gives this mission to us. And so, who, this time of year, by personal interaction, by social media, who have you told, encouraged, reaffirmed, or perhaps told for the first time, Jesus is king. And he can reign over your sin. He's powerful to defeat your sin. Because this king will once and for all establish a kingdom. And you and I, as brothers and sisters in Jesus, are already residents of that, residents of that kingdom. Citizens of that kingdom. Children of God. But there are people all around us who need to acknowledge that Jesus is king. And there are people all over the world who need to hear that Jesus is king. So go and make disciples because Christ, who has ultimate and unending authority, is worthy of our undeserved and unrestrained worship. Let's pray.